Um, the past few nights has been really um, a struggle for me, and I'm really thankful for your patience. And you probably heard this before, that the first year of teaching is usually the hardest. And it's especially hard when you try to be someone else. And I'm really thankful for the church, partly because you, don't, you come here and you don't want to disrupt the church culture. And I'm so really thankful for the ch church leadership who've encouraged me to, to just be free and be yourself. And everybody's different, so I'm, I'm thankful. So, so tonight, it's a bit different. We only have one slide. But um, I hope that this will be a blessing. So we turn now to 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7 to 10. I'm reading from the ESV. This is what the Bible says. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent his only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that God Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you again for this time that we can gather together. We thank you for your word. I pray that uh, tonight, as we open your word, you speak to our hearts. I ask for your grace, for your mercy. Father, I ask that you would enable me, help me to speak clearly, help me to, to communicate these truths from your word. And I pray that you help us also to listen well and Learn from your word. Father, speak to our hearts. Be with us in Jesus' name. Amen. So tonight, there's three things that I, I want us to, to learn, I guess, or be reminded of. I, I was reading a book the other day shared to me by our brother here, Preaching as Reminding. Much of preaching really is just reminding us what we already know. And tonight, I want us to be reminded of three things. And I understand that there's so many ways that we can approach this text, this, this passage that we have just read. There's so many ways that we can approach this. But tonight, we'll approach it in this way. We ask the question, who God is or who is God? Secondly, who we are. And thirdly, who or what we should be. And this is where our focus would revolve. It's a very simple message, but a good reminder. 
So the first one is who God is. Who is God? John says that God is love in verse number 8. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Now, this phrase here is, is somewhat simple, but at the same time can be very deep too. God is love. The essence of love is, is God. So everything that love is, is God. Of course, the Bible tells us about love in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love always protects. Love always perseveres. Love um, is perfect. And all of these, of course, is God. And even more, because we know God is perfect. His love is perfect. His attributes is perfect. But we also have to remember that God, as we have learned this morning, that God is ontologically different. In other words, God is simply God. So from eternity past to eternity future, God is God. God is, God was, and God will always be God. So when we speak of God being love, we know that even before us, even before the foundation of the world, even before we are created, God is already love. Even before creatures, God is God. He is love. So we can say that God is not Love because he loves, but rather God is love. God loves because he is love. So this is his very nature, his, his very character. God is, is love. So even without his actions, God is love. But the great thing about God as John tells us, is God, not only is he love in and of himself, his intrinsic nature, his quality, but that he also demonstrated his love. And we read that in verse number 9. John says, in this, the love of God was made manifest among us. In other words, John is saying, this is, this is how God loves us. Let me show you, let me tell you how God showed his love to us. He provides his reader a historical expression of God's love. Not only God is love in his person and in his being, but also in a moment of time, God demonstrated his love to us. And of course, this demonstration of love is in Jesus Christ. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. 
And now that we come to this phrase, I, I want to, to divide this phrase into three parts. Right? So John is saying, this is how God loves us. First, God sent his son. We know this already. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Friends, it's one thing to declare the love of God to people who have never heard of it, to those who have never known but it's another to speak of God's love to those who already experience it. John is telling, telling these people that God is love, and, and this idea is not foreign to them. And it's the same for us. The idea of God being love is not something foreign to us. We know this. In fact, we experience this. We know the love of God. We know this in an experiential level, not just in a theological level. We know this as a reality. God loved us in that he sent his son for us. So that in and of itself is a demonstration of God's love, that God would send his son. And, and, and this probably is more weighty when you're a father, and I cannot speak about this, because I'm not a father, but for a father to send someone he loves, his only son, as a sacrifice, that's a demonstration of love. But not only God sent his son, God sent his son into the world, into this place that he created, full of people who are sinners, and when we think about this, we have to remember that Jesus Christ was, was sent into this earth. And when he was on this earth, he was despised and forsaken. He suffered under the hands of men. He was spat on. He was embarrassed. He was stripped naked. He was slapped. He was punched. And when we really think about it, Jesus Christ, why would you allow these people to do this to you? The very hands that you created, when we think of Jesus as the creator, would allow that his creatures would do this to him. Or, or, or when we think about God allowing his son to be in the hands of his creatures, and the very creature that he created would do this vile thing to his son, all because he loved us and he wants to rescue us. This is love. This is love. So God sent his son is a demonstration of love, but that God would send his son into the world is, is a more deeper understanding of how God loved us. And then thirdly, 
Not only God sent His Son into the world, God sent His Son into the world that we might live. Not only, not only God's love is demonstrated by sending His Son, God's love is demonstrated by the very purpose of why He did it. God sent His Son so that we might live. This is the purpose, the motivation of why He would send His Son into the world is so that we might have eternal life. And in this letter, we would see this as one of the key themes that every time John would speak about life or eternal life, it's always connected to Jesus Christ. And we know this to be true, isn't it? Right? In John 17, verse 3, the Bible tells us that this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Friends, the only way that we can have life is through Christ. So there shouldn't be a time in our life where, where we would say, I need to do better because I need to have eternal life. There's not a time where we would feel like, I've done enough, now I can have eternal life. It's, it's all grace. There's nothing we can do to earn salvation. And this is why God sent His Son into the world, so that we might live. This is the demonstration of God's love. But thirdly, too, we have to remember that God, God's love is a divine initiation. In other words, none of us deserve the love of God. And we read this in verse number 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. When we think about this idea of love, we have to remember we have to remember that, as I have said earlier, Romans chapter five verse eight, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And when we go back a few verses, for a good man, some would even dare to die, for a righteous man. Um, some would dare to die, but for this, who would be willing to die for sinners like you and I? While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We were in sin, and we have no thoughts about God whatsoever, no interest about God whatsoever. We were disinterested in Him. Yet God loved us and have thought about us that He would die for our sins. God saw us, Jesus saw us, and for reasons only known to Him, He decided to love us and died for us so that we might live. That's 
who God is. God is love. Secondly, who we are. And of course, this is somewhat overlapping to the first point, but who we are, we are beloved of God. We are beloved of God. When we think about this phrase, beloved, um, of course, this, this has been used by the nation of Israel. The nation of Israel is beloved of God. And we know the story, right? God said, I have not chosen you because you're strong, because you're mighty. I have chosen you because of me, because of who I am. And this is the same with us. We are beloved of God, not because of who we are, but because of His grace, but because of His mercy. But also, too, we have to remember that in Scriptures, Jesus Christ is the Beloved. Remember in in His baptism, the Father said, This is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. In, In the Mount of Transfiguration, God said, This is my Beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. And the book of Ephesians actually tells us that we are blessed in the beloved, right? A praise and glory to God, for we are blessed in the beloved. In other words, the Father loves the Son, and for the Son's sake, the Father loves us. So, we are experiencing all these realities that we just talked about a moment ago is, is true to us. It's, it's real to us. And I hope it's true to us. If not, I invite you trust in Jesus and let this be true for you as well. That Jesus loved us, suffered for us to satisfy God's justice, to satisfy the wrath of the Father to satisfy the payment that we could not pay. This is very clear in many passages, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27, or Hebrews chapter 10, that the Bible tells us that He offered Himself as a sacrifice once and for all, a single sacrifice for all time, Jesus, as we read here, is the propitiation for our sins. In other words, he is the satisfaction for our sins. One of my favorite songs, In Christ Alone, has this line. Till on that cross is Jesus died. The wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin on him was laid there in the death. Of Christ I live. Friends, who we are in Christ is that we are loved. We are, we are recipients of His love. And we are also blessed by the love of God. And thirdly, and then we'll close, who we ought to be or what we should be. So John was saying that God is love, right? So he's saying, Beloved, let us 
love one another for love is from God and whoever lo- whoever loves has been born of God and knows God so the argument is this God is love and we know God we are in fellowship with God therefore we ought to love one another we ought to be the most loving person in the world this is the mark of the believer Right? We remember in chapter 1, you cannot say that you are in fellowship with God when you are not in fellowship with one another. So the inverse is also true. If you know God, if you know His love, then you ought to love His people. Christ is the head of the body, the church. You cannot claim to love the head and not love the body. You have to love the whole You love Christ and you love his church. One of the common things that we hear today is that I love Jesus, I am a Christian, but I don't do church. And you cannot love Christ and not love the church because the church is the body of Christ. We don't have much time, but I want to point out something before we close. If we remember last time, John says that God is light. He takes one doctrine, one character, and out of that one doctrine, he provides ethical implications. The same is true here. The one doctrine that he chooses is this. God is love. And out of that reality, He uses that as a basis, as a grounds for ethical implications. And that ethical implication is this, that we are to love one another. We are to love God's people. So, here's the message. Christianity is really not about rules, it's not about religion, it's about person, as we have learned this morning. And this is the same argument that John is using. He brings this person, his character, this nature, God, is love. And out of this reality, we are to behave in this way. Out of this reality, God is love, therefore, love one another. And what does this mean for us? We are to pray for each other. We are to care for each other. We are to listen for each other. To love each other. To help each other. Friends, God is love. And they that have known the love of God, if you have known the love of God, if you are truly you have truly experienced God's love, you are to be the most loving person in this world. This is what Christianity is about. That God loves us now. We are to love one another. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much that you so loved us, that you gave your son for us. Father, thank you that you have 
made this truth, made this, rea made this reality for us on a personal level, that we have experienced this truth, that you so loved me, God, rescued me from my sins. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.